Welcome back to the United Podcast, the podcast of the official Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney for your match review against Arsenal. And a big thank you for Vin for filling in last minute substitution for a few of the other regulars. And um, hopefully Larry will be joining us back soon. I can't tell you the last time I did a podcast with Larry, but um, I'm sure the next Manchester United win, um, he'll be back. So we have Chelsea in a couple of days. So I don't know, we'll have to keep our substitutes on hold for a little bit, but do appreciate Vin joining us and everyone in the live chat. And um, look, I was with Vin last night at the Man United Supporters Club watching the match against Arsenal at the pub. And look, I'll have to get your thoughts, Vin, because as much as I enjoyed last night, and it was besides the football aside, besides the result, it's one of those ones where you're at the pub watching. It's almost like you're at the game. You don't have a great view of sort of what happens in regards to who played well, what happened tactically. So I remember the key sort of talking points, but in regards to a tactical analysis, I won't be able to provide that today. So hopefully everyone in the live chat can sort of give me their opinions on what they thought of the match because my honest opinion at the moment, Vin, in terms of looking back, this is without watching a replay, is sort of my recollection of the game, and to correct me if I'm wrong, was it was better than what it has been in recent weeks. Ultimately, maybe not good enough, and it was just a case of probably the better team on the day, but ultimately, goals change games, as Scott McTominay said, and it was one of those ones where I don't want to blame the referee, but a different referee and another bounce on the ball and another day, we win the match. It wasn't actually the disgraceful performance which we've been served up in recent weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, I do understand uh, the performance was much better than what we uh, what we have seen from United over the last few weeks, especially after the Liverpool game. Uh, but I have seen the refs giving penalties for like more softer uh, for softer fouls in the past, and it, 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 it does feel a bit weird when you are in the receiving end. Uh, but yeah, football aside, last night the atmosphere was so good at uh, uh, Scruffy Murphy's. Uh, that was where we had the screening. We had like more than 50 Manchester United supporters from the official supporters club uh, uh, visit and enjoy the whole uh, atmosphere. Uh, it was it was a pretty okayish game from United in a nutshell, but yeah, we didn't take the chances when we had to take. We will of course discuss about it, uh, but yeah, it's it's, it's just unlucky uh, that that things didn't go as per the plan. But yeah, on a footballing sense, we were much better than what we were uh, when we played Liverpool. Just listening to you there, Vin, and I echo all your thoughts and agree completely, but just listening to you there, it's sort of, and i just seen a comment here, which I'll go to all the comments from Ashby here. Evening, lads. Last night typified the last three months of the club. And just hearing you speak there, Vin, I think you just summed up the mood in regards to saying, oh, look, okay, it was better. It was okay, but it was like a downbeat mood. Like, And, of course, losing away to Arsenal or losing any game is obviously going to be downbeat. But I think, um, yeah, I'm sure everyone in the live chat does I'm sort of share your mood there, but I'll just say good day to some guys in the live chat. As always, George here, good to see you, mate. Really sick of this mess if this season could end already. No holidays for this lot, straight back to the training field. Ten Hag will have it his way or the highway. Well, we hope it, he, have it, he has it his way. Time will tell, but fingers crossed. Dion, good to see you, Matt. Matt as well, I was at the Supporters Club event last night. Good to see you, Rob, as always. Um, good dinner with him last night and a fellow Arsenal friend who was the only happy man at the, at the pub at the end of the night. But uh, Mike as well, hi Ron. totally agree with your tweet, Tom, regarding Ralph's press conference calling out Pogba, Bayi, and among other home truths, which I'll we'll get into, we'll do this first bit on the match, Finn, but I think the main part of this podcast will be looking at Ralph Rangnick's comments, and it's amazing how he came out, and I don't think enough news has been made about it, but I'll get into that in a little bit. But just say one, two more comments here, Dion, it was better um, in that Arsenal can't defend, I'm not having it that we played well. 
um, how stands have fallen. Yeah, look, I haven't watched the match back, and I'm probably not going to watch the match back. But um, yes, not the standard required. But compared to what we have seen, it did look better. And yes, Arsenal aren't the measuring stick; they're not anything to cry uh, write home about. But football capital, Borche, good to see you, mate. Football is gone and the calls were horrible. I guess they need Arsenal to win for the Amazon documentary. I have had one or two sort of tinfoil hat conspiracies in regards to the Amazon documentary and Arsenal and there's sort of the, the circus surrounding them. But on the on the referee, look, we're not going to sit here and blame the referee, Vin. We're in the position we're in in regards to how bad we've been on the field and off the field. Is there anything you do want to talk about the referee? Because, look, the Tellers penalty, it was obviously offside. Then it comes back to, well, they, they checked it for offside first then they found something else. Was it a penalty? For me, uh, very soft. I've got no issue with them giving that Tellers penalty. If they give the Anthony Alanga one, when was that 20 minutes earlier? I have no issue. I think both probably not penalties, but if you're going to give one, you have to give the other, and that is where sort of, it does sort of leave a bit of a sour taste. And also, I didn't notice at the time, I only saw today, but the Granite Xhaka goal, um, there was a player in David De Gea's line of vision. Now, I don't know, did that go to VAR? Did they check that for offside, or was that sort of not sort of really looked at? So... Do you look at anything in regards to the referee's performance or it was just one of those ones where we're beaten on the day? So um, I think, first of all, the referee, it was shocking. Uh, of course, there were, uh, I, I do find like where uh, when we were not given the uh, penalty for the softball on Elanga, and I do agree that if that was, if the one that was done by Chalice was given, uh, the Elanga one needs to be given. But on the whole look of it, I kind of feel the way the referees have this power to uh, approach VAR, VAR, whenever you want to approach or whenever VAR wants to take part into the process. It's it's a bit unreliable. It's not consistent. And it, it really does not feel consistent when United are on the receiving end, especially the last goal. Yes, you're right. He was directly in the line of vision for uh, during the Zaka, uh, Granit Zaka's goal, but uh, no one even, you know, uh, had a mention about it. And uh, it's 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 really looking like that way. Like nothing is falling uh, into place for United at this moment. Everything is going against us, and uh, and yeah, probably we just have to go ahead and accept that this poor refereeing decisions and the inconsistent VAR calls is just part of them. That's that's all all we can do right now. Now that the game is over and we kind of lost all three points. Yeah. Now. Um... Football couple here, Borchay, say never a pen on Saka. Tellers went in for a challenge. It was coming together. Then the handball was not even checked. And the handball is one that um, I want to touch on here because Scott, good mate here. I'm the only Arsenal fan at the pub last night. It was good to meet him and have a couple of beers and a chat. Unfortunately, he left with a smile on his face. But um, it was good to meet him. It was all in good spirits. And he says, ref VAR. This, so this is from an Arsenal fan. We're all over the shop. Some dodgy calls. Some dodgy calls for both sides. But Cedric handball was a shocker. I forgot the Cedric handball. I, that didn't need to go to VAR in my opinion. It was a handball. Like there was no need for VAR interference there. And then for VAR to, I don't know if they did look at it or didn't look at it, for them to come to the decision that it wasn't a penalty. I think that sort of summed up the mood and you always have that feeling. Obviously, we're 1-0 down at the time. So we're 1-0 down by our own our sort of own doing. So I can't really complain too much. But I think that did sort of set the tone for what kind of afternoon it was going to be. But um, yeah, there was a good chant last night of a Robin Van Persie, the Scott. But um well, it was a good night, but in regards to that, anything else in regards to the performance, let's go through okay, the goals. Was that Harry Maguire who missed that first cross that came in? <laughs> Harry Maguire. Who, who was it? Rafael Varane? It was Varane, Tellez. And look, yeah. Varane's coming for criticism this season. Of course he has, and he deserves the criticism. I think he has been good, but 
ultimately in regards to the world-class defender. He hasn't reached sort of those heights, but Harry Maguire gets death threats for that. Like, and I'm just thinking, not that he deserves it, of course not, but I'm just thinking the reaction he would get, and rightly so, for a mistake like that, that same look, a football term at the moment is keep that same energy, that, that's used a lot, but you have to keep that same energy for Rafael Varane because it looked like it was Harry Maguire. Yeah, absolutely. He should have cleared it. And even if he didn't, uh, Telus should have done a better job than trying this, you know, or doing a direct pick when the ball reaches him. And even though uh, uh, De Gea made a good save, but yeah, Dello was left out. And uh, I think uh, Tavares, he went ahead and then it was just like a tap in. De Gea couldn't do anything more than that. And uh, yeah, it was just... It kind of showcases how our defense are throughout the entire season, how we've been playing. There is no communication, no watching the uh, the guy behind the back, no clearing, schoolboy stuff at the end of the day. And uh, it's 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 like, what, game 34 for this season or game 33? And we are still doing the same mistake, what we shouldn't be even doing um, after the first few games, but we are still doing it. So it's it just feels weird. Like the third game, we were like three games done with the... Uh, Premier League season, and uh, we were at we were in the extreme end uh, to where to where Arsenal was. Arsenal was in the 18th place, if I remember, 18th or 19th, and we were very confident back then. And look how the tables have turned, right? Like six oh, months down the line. Credit that's football, though. I think that happens. Yeah, the, the credit I'll give Arsenal, not that I want to give them too much credit, yeah. is simply sticking with, our, sticking with Arteta. Not that he's a great manager or a bad manager. Whatever it is, it's consistency. That yeah. If you put Sam Allardyce in charge of a team for two or three years, he will become consistent. Like You put any manager, and I think that is sort of we can take a note out of that book in terms of when Eric Ten Hag comes in because, my God, we're going to get into the job Ten Hag has ahead of him. And look, that is going to take time. There's going to be many bumps in the road. But before we get into sort of the bigger issues in regards to what's happening in the dressing room, are there any positives to take from this game in regards to the performance? As I said, get your comments in the live chat. We might have, we'll have to bring three, two, ones into this as well. I forgot that there are a thing with this Man United team that we have to give points out. But were there sort of positive performances? Obviously, there was the Ronaldo goal, and obviously, it was a weird situation where we're all talking about a Ronaldo goal and what the emotion would be like. We didn't have that. We never crossed our mind of being 2 0 down and that goal coming and just the reaction. If you get the ball out of the goal, there was no sort of real time to sort of look at Ronaldo's reaction, but he obviously did have a bit of a look to the heavens. So, obviously, an emotional moment for him. From my opinion, it looked like Ronaldo had a decent decent enough game. Um, anyone else sort of stand out in regards? To, we will bring 3 2 1s into this and uh, make sure you get your um, comments in in the live chat in regards to who does deserve points because at the end of the day, it is a disappointing loss. Some, sometimes we try and shy away from points in regards to situations like this, but in regards to how we have been playing in recent weeks, there was an improvement. So um, let me know if anyone was deserving of points. Uh, if, if if I may, I might probably give De Gea one of those points because if he wouldn't have saved some of the goals, then the scoreline would have been embarrassing. Uh, the positive points is, of course, Ronaldo scoring. I mean, when he scored the goal, the... Uh, the roof went off at Scruffy's. Everybody was literally celebrating for him. We all knew what he went through over the last few weeks. So it was massive. Uh, and the other positive is I really hope now Bruno doesn't take any more penalties. You know, That, that, that was um, my next point I want to come into yeah. in regards to what we'll bring in. There's one or two comments about it earlier. I think um, Ashby brought it in here. Bruno with the worst penalty approach in history should have just run up and smacked it in, which look, I completely agree. 
none of us had that opinion when he f- hit 15 penalties or so in a row the other season. So it, it's one of those ones. But it came out also that, and I don't know, had didn't have these quotes in front of me, but they asked Ralph Rangnick about it, and he spoke about Ronaldo didn't want to take it. He didn't feel comfortable taking it. And you think that's how could that be the case with Ronaldo? Like he's, but he's a human. He just sometimes players just don't don't feel it. And he was in that situation. That is why Bruno Fernandez took it. It was one of those ones that when the camera panned to Bruno, Bruno picked up the ball, everyone in the pub. I walked downstairs. I just knew he was going to miss it. Everyone just knew. And even uh, I couldn't get my head around it. But ultimately, if Ronaldo has said no, Ronaldo said no. Bruno then had the ball to step up. Unfortunately, he has missed it. So um, are you criticising Bruno too much? Then We're going to get into in regards to his performance, which definitely deserves criticising. But for me, a penalty, as bad as a penalty does look, I'm never going to be too sort of critical of someone missing a penalty. It happens. Ronaldo's missed one this year. That's that's true. And and we all knew the moment Bruno was walking in to take it, and especially the run-up, he paused uh, two seconds more than his usual pause. And we we most of us knew that it's gonna it's gonna be missed or it's gonna be saved. And uh, of course he didn't prove us wrong. Uh, but again I wouldn't I wouldn't say too much because penalties are like that. You score them, you miss them. But uh, given the juncture the game was at that point of time, uh, most everyone of us wanted him to score so that it becomes 2-2 and then give us a fight to go for a winner. Uh, but yeah, things didn't happen that way. Uh, and of, of course, we can't complain for a guy who's been scoring penalties like over the last two seasons with a better success rate. Uh, but yeah, it's as There's I said... Far worse, far worse penalty missed by Manchester United player against Arsenal. Rude van Nistrooy hit the crossbar. That doesn't happen. Arsenal, I don't know, Scott's in the live chat, I don't want to bring it up, but if that ball doesn't hit the crossbar and that goes in, Arsenal don't have an invincible team. Those are the fine margins that we play, and no one's blaming Rude van Nistrooy for anything. He missed a penalty. What can you do? Sort of thing. But in regards to, actually, well, on 3 2 ones there, because I want to get into Bruno and sort of then further into the negatives. 3 2 ones as you're the guest, I can see a couple of names there flying around. They're all over the shop. And again, I didn't have a sort of great recollection of the game, but as you're the guest in regards to a last-minute substitution... Off top of your head, in the next sort of 20 seconds, can you just do the honours and just give me a 3-2-1 um, for the players? Uh, Ronaldo would take the three because showing that sense of professionalism to don the jersey and then play the game he had. Of course, it was not a match-winning performance. Uh, but yes, uh, Ronaldo for the three, uh, De Gea for the two, and uh, probably Matic for one because of his first-half performance. Uh, nothing other than that. Forget the, the first half performance. Yeah. My highlight of the game, and so one thing I do remember of Matic is mobile phone footage I've seen when he got substituted. He's sitting on the bench, oh, and yeah. an Arsenal fan is giving him stuff like I think he's pointed at a score three one or something or three goals to Arsenal, and then yeah. Matic turns around and says, "I've got three Premier League titles. You've got zero. So yeah. um, he, look, he again, Jose. yeah, he so, yeah, he's Jose's <laughs> son, definitely. So definitely a leaf out of Jose's book. So I'll make sure I write those points down. So thank you for that. Um, Send a few comments in here. Um, Borchez, all congrats on the 900 sub- subscribers. Thank you, mate. Um, appreciate that. Ryan, good to see you last night as well. But yeah, another loss at Scruffy's. The streak goes on for me. Shocking stuff. Everything went wrong for us. Rest decision. Missed penalty. I could go on. Yeah, a lot of the members, um, their last couple of games at Scruffy's, our good kickoff times seem to end up in defeats. We usually win not sort of the 3 a.m. Monday morning games where we're not, not at the pub. So um, stick with it. It'll change eventually. We might have to go there for an early League Cup game next year or something to get the monkey off the um, off the back. But in regards to Bruno Fernandez, forget the penalty. We're going to look at performance. 
another from what again my recollection and hearing people another very bad performance by Bruno Fernandez and I want to ask the question to you and also in the live chat I had a discussion with Emad as well last night is this form I'm going to put it down to form now is that naive or is this what he's developing into is this the type of player Bruno Fernandez sort of is and who's sort of that fantastic season in, in regards to his stats and goals and assists that has sort of masked the player that he actually is so where do you put this situation down to him is it just a big, unfortunate, bad patch of form, or is it he's sort of almost sort of been exposed? Uh, I would, I would, I wouldn't say it's a bad patch of form, but uh, in, I think his human psyche had been impacted after Ole's sacking. Uh, because if you if you look at around the same timeline, uh, he was doing okay then. He was doing really okay then. He wasn't real as bad as he is right now. But after Ole sacking, things just went downhill. He's not been performing to his level of standards. He's not even probably scoring like 7 out of 10 in his player ratings. Uh, we, of course, expected him uh, to do a lot, especially after the first 18 months he had with the club. And his expectations, the his performance that he had given us in the past set for greater expectations. And uh, with the coach being changed, with the uh, personalities in and around coming in and going, with the mood and the aura of the team going off, I feel that might have ticked him off. And uh, he is not a uh, he is not one of those persons I have seen, even from the Europa League final loss, that when your team goes down or when you don't have any options, he kind of loses the plot. He gets a bit frustrated. He kind of throws around his arms like. Uh, uh, an eight-year-old kid in the playground. Uh, but I, I really feel that he can do much better than that. It's just he needs to be more consistent. He needs to back himself when the chips are down. Uh, and I really hope uh, that this kind of form stops, uh, like, probably after, like, you know, even when Ten Hag comes in, there is no such uh, ideas that he can still continue with this patch of form. Because if this happens, I think he might be the first person to be benched uh, mm. When when things of this way uh, happens, when when Ten Hag is around, well, Ten Hag uh, will be interesting here. Borche just makes the point. Bruno has the tactical discipline of a cat. I worry for him under Ten Hag, and and I do have. I share that worry one hundred percent. However, I do watch him for Portugal. For Portugal, I hate international football, but I don't know if it's because of Ronaldo and Bruno. But I've, whenever Portugal are on, I happen that it's always my one match I watch during the international break. And look, he is it's sort of in and out of the team occasionally. But when he does play, he plays in that little bit of a deeper role. And obviously with Ronaldo up front, and he does look more sort of settled and composed and sort of played his plays in a more structured system. So the reason I'm going to afford Bruno this sort of bit, bit of a patch and say it's bad form and sort of give him the benefit of the doubt, which we need to do for all players when Eric Ten Hag comes in. The reason I do afford him the opportunity, Vin, is he is someone who cares. But whatever we think of his discipline in regards to his attitude and his mentality and leadership qualities... I think he is someone who cares. And what he has done in terms of... He carried the team to second last season. And since he's come in, he has been brilliant in regards to that. We can discuss performances, but at the end of the day, results what we're here for. And he has provided results more than anyone else in a Man United shirt since he came in, besides maybe David De Gea. So because of that effort he does pro provide, I, I am going to just stick by him. If this is someone who isn't putting the effort in, I'll maybe question them a bit more. But I'm willing to stick behind Bruno Fernandes. Um, look at every, every coach or every player needs a clean slate under the new manager. But I think Bruno Fernandez definitely. And look, at the end of the day, in regards to the way this club is run, he was given a contract before this manager came in. So he will be playing under Eric Ten Hag. It will be up to Eric Ten Hag to um, give him that discipline needed.
But um, obviously, that is the match, and we're sort of moving on to sort of far bigger issues because now top four, I don't know if it's mathematically impossible. I assume it's mathematically impossible now unless Arsenal lose four games and Tottenham lose four games. So I think it's probably a good thing. It's a weight off the shoulders that top four is gone now, and we can move on with sort of more pressing issues and sort of focus our energy there because we're always fighting a losing battle in regards to that top four chase. The pre-match press conference for Ralph Rangnick, they obviously do the first 10-minute um, part of the press conference, then they hold an embargoed bit back for 12 hours or 24 hours. And that second part came out then just before the game yesterday, and I don't think enough was made of it in regards to some of the stuff Ralph Rangnick was saying. Like, it was... He just dropped an absolute bomb in terms of everything. He said, finally, we got a clear answer of Paul Pogba. He said Paul Pogba's leaving. Just said, yep, he's not renewing a contract. He's leaving. He called out Eric Bay in regards to his professionalism. Eric Bay sort of interacting with fans on Instagram, calling for Harry Maguire to be dropped. Harry Maguire was dropped. Eric Bay didn't get that position in the team. So I think we know what Ralph Ring has thought of Eric Bay, which I think was one of the first things I called in regards to his professionalism when Rangit came in. I said, Eric Bay is not going to be playing in this football team. And that does look like the case. And there were one or two other things. Then he just went on a five-minute, not rant, but sort of got out his notebook almost like Rafa Benitez and just started going in on the club and saying, look, Eric Ten Hag's got a big job when he comes in. If he wants to pick up the phone when he comes in, he can call me. I'm going to tell him everything that's wrong with this club because this club doesn't need one or two little changes. This club needs, in terms of medical terms, needs open-heart surgery. Like this club, he just said, there's so many problems and it's going to take a big fix. Like You can't just do this little bit by little bit. Everything needs to change, and everything needs to change now. And just your thoughts on Ralph Frank there in regards to his honesty, because one, I love that, but I also questioned his honesty when he first came in in regards to we're still in the Champions League, we're still in the FA Cup, we're still in a top four race. So in regards to his honesty potentially sort of upsetting the, upsetting the dressing room, one, that is a good thing. We did want that dressing room to be upset to sort of weed out the issues. However, in regards to getting results, it might not have been ideal in the short term. Now, maybe long term, ideally, that is going to sort of pay off. But in the short term, I'm not sure if his honesty sort of really helped the team. But ultimately, now the season's over. All for the honesty. All for just throwing everything out there and making um, all the issues public, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. His uh, press conferences, especially the last two or three, are... Are, are like as we were uh, chatting in the group, like it was like a breath of fresh air coming out and talking uh, real with real clarity. You know, we all as uh, a literate fan knows like what's actually going on with the club, what needs to be changed, and what were the pressing issues. And uh, he just came out and said everything we had in our mind for the last what uh, four or more than six years. Uh, and I think. The good part of him coming in public and talking about it is now the owners or even the football directors have kind of nothing to hide. They cannot hide saying like, we don't, we, we are doing good. Like literally he said, don't chase big money signings, commercial signings, just stick to people who are more hungry, who love to fight, who can show some discipline when they are playing. So he kind of uh, shot down the whole commercial aspect of the club and Either he's been given the power and the autonomy to do that, or either he is like, okay, if there is one way to fix this club, it just had to be done this way. He kind of showed, uh, he kind of showed Eric Ten Hag what he might be uh, facing in the future, hmm. especially with the uh, pressures of the media, pressures of the fan, pressures of the club, and uh, all the aspirations we have, and of course, players who aren't helping themselves. 
uh, he kind of laid it bare for everyone. And uh, doing this also gives Eric a peace of mind that he can fall back into Ralph in case if he has some questions to ask or talk about it. So that's one thing. And another good thing, what he had spoken is like uh, someone asked in the press about his role. And uh, well, I said this at the start. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't believe he has a role. I, I think the club sold us that line when he when he arrived. I don't think there was anything in it. Yeah. About his role, and all he said was like, "I am a what I'm a, I'm going to be turning sixty or something, and I don't need a contract for me. I'm fine. Whatever I'm doing, I don't need anything yeah. on the paper. I'm available here. I'll be helping the club whenever they need me. So yeah. that's one." Uh, but regarding uh, uh, regarding about, about the players who have been like especially Eric Bai, he needs to be sorted because that's not the way how you bring down your teammate because that's kind of one of the reasons where uh, why there is this kind of uh, dysfunctionality within the within the team within the squad because you can't shut down players you can't shoot down players especially on social media you have a problem you sort it out with them. Uh, but by commenting on um, unscrupulous stuff on social media is just uh, plain ridiculous and does not set an example for uh, a team like Manchester United. So uh, it's it's a good thing what he did. But now what, what we have to sit back and see is, uh, are they going to let him act on it? Are they going to let Eric Ten Hag act on it? Or is Ralph going to be around to help him more about it? Because well, I this topic like... here, Dion brings up, which I want to get back into that in regards to one episode, in regards to the actual players in the dressing room. He says, from what I've heard, the guy has been genuinely shocked at how unprofessional the dressing room, which lines up with Ronaldo's comments. And it's come out in regards to even Paul Scholes post-match came out and said he spoke with Jesse Lingard and Jesse Lingard confirmed that the dressing room is an absolute mess. We saw Scott McTominay's post-match interview where he was asked uh, sort of what are the problems. He said, or he says there's a lot going on at the club. And he said, yeah, there's a lot going on. They've got the players, the staff, upstairs, everyone. Like, it's a mess everywhere. So Scott McTominay has confirmed it as well. And I'm just thinking we always knew there was issues, but now these have been made public. And here we've seen them made public in regards to dressing room leaks, in regards to we can sort of put together who's yeah. behind some of the leaks. But now it's becoming on camera people are voicing their opinion for the public to hear. So it's not even leaks anymore. It's just straight out facts that's coming out. And I'm just thinking that is frightening. And there's a sort of term always used now with football and dressing rooms, especially with Manchester United, these dressing room cliques, so these little groups forming in the dressing rooms. And whenever that sort of term comes out in regards to Man United over the years, it's always been, oh, there's the Spanish-speaking group or there's a Portuguese group sort of thing. I think, okay, fine. But it's used to criticise them while they're sticking together. But if you look at the facts at hand in front of that we have, in terms of where the problems are in regards to these leaks and attitude, well, maybe they're doing the right thing by sticking together. Maybe it's the English guys. Maybe it's that English group because Maguire's an obviously a big issue and we've seen with his recent comments. We've seen Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford. Look, ultimately, it's a good thing giving the shirts to the kids, but giving it to a couple of Arsenal kids. They didn't go over to the Man United fans and give their shirt to the Man United fans there. Two English lads there. Luke Shaw has obviously had huge issues with his discipline and he's potentially won the big leaks. Obviously, Dean Henderson, we've known he's been, been sort of behind some of the leaks as well. So I'm thinking this dressing room groups, and we all say, oh, there's a Spanish-speaking group or the Portuguese group. I'm thinking, well, maybe they're the professionals. Maybe they're sticking together because they know the problem is the other side of the dressing room, which is the English lads. So what do you think of this sort of story coming out with Jesse Lingard confirming it, Scott McTominay confirming it, us already knowing it? But... Um, is this good that it's just we're, we're getting it all out there or is it just add into the circus? I think it's this is all happening after Sir Alex reti uh, retired. I, I can never imagine any of these stories coming onto the picture uh, if he's still managing the club. 
And it's it's all because of the culture of the club that has massively fallen from the benchmarks it had set all through these years. And and us fans who had um, grown up with those cultures and ethics, uh, we really kind of feel irritated when all these dressing room leaks come out. Uh, regarding Jesse Lingard's comment, uh, he might be right. The, he and of course Scott had said like, yeah, the dressing room is in shambles, and of course it's going to be in shambles when there are like uh, personalities like Harry Maguire. Uh, sorry to bring him again onto the spotlight. Who thinks he is privileged enough to be part of the starting squad every other game when there are performers like, uh, let's say, uh, I, I, I'm like. Aaron Wan Bissaka, even though he's not performing real good, he has to literally strive hard to get picked. And uh, players like Marcus Rashford, again, we are all falling into the whole British circle that uh, those are those players who are always under the scanner when they are performing bad. And when they are not performing bad, uh, there needs to be some story that's been spun up by the media. And that's why they come through the dressing room leaks. Uh, but we don't hear much. Uh, about, let's say, like Ronaldo shoving Bruno inside the locking, locker room never makes a story, even if it comes off a story, because they don't really care. And as you said, they form the cliques. Uh, of course, cliques exist in every other organization, be it a football club or be it a, a massive corporate organization. Cliques does exist, but probably uh, the cliques with uh, the non-English speaking uh, groups, uh, they are sticking together, fighting for the team. And the ones that are not, and the English-speaking ones, are not fighting for the team. Yeah, look, you, you don't want to you don't want to accuse, and, and you're right in saying it, it happens oh, yeah, in every business. Accused. But yeah. it's one of those ones where, look, with the limited information we do have, you don't want to. So I always find it hard to accuse players of not trying. But what we have seen recently it does look like they're not trying. So you are going to accuse them. In regards to these dressing room leaks, well, we're, we're accusing them of this. Do we have the actual evidence? No, we don't. But all, all, all the everything points towards it being them, sort of thing. So, so it is a hard one in that situation. But another bit on Scott McTominay I want to bring up, and obviously you talk about clicks or agendas, everyone has their own agenda and everyone sort of followed me over the last couple of years and been calling for one matter to sort of have a more sort of prominent role in the team. Now his time is coming to an end at Manchester United, so I'm going to have to move on to something else. And we talk about leadership, we talk about his interview. So if you want to talk about his interview, feel free. And in the comments, do let me know if I'm deluded and call me out if I'm wrong. Ronaldo is not the long-term captain for here. Okay, Ronaldo's not going to be a long-term captain. De Gea going forward, I think, look, I'll, I'll be okay with giving him the captaincy, but there is always something in regards to football that giving the goalkeeper the captaincy, there's something a lot of people aren't behind it. Ten Hag might like it, he might hate it. It's one of those things like shirt numbers, like you don't put number seven at left back. It's just one of those things. Like, I, I don't think Ten Hag will give De Gea the captaincy. And one, just from a football point of view, there is a strong case that Ten Hag might look away from David De Gea in regards to a new goalkeeper. So I don't think De Gea will be the captain next season. I think everyone has come around to the idea that sort of I brought up quite early in his career that Bruno Fernandes is not a Manchester United captain. I don't see him as a long-term captain. We all agree that Harry Maguire is not the captain. So if Ronaldo's whatever his situation, if he's not going to be the captain, all those they're very strong cases for none of those should be captain next next season. We've all sort of confirmed as well. We don't want to see another Harry Maguire situation where Eric Ten Hag brings a player and then gives him the captaincy after six weeks of training. So that's not the answer. So I'll go through the rest of the squad, Vin. Now, I understand all the limitations with Scott McTominay, but from what I heard in that interview, and that's a genuine interview in my opinion, he's not reading off a script. I understand all the potential flaws and hopefully we go and invest in midfield and that might limit Scott McTominay's game time. But I'll go through the team now and someone tell me a more suitable captain. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he's Roy Keane, but someone tell me 
a more suitable captain in that dressing room than Scott McTominay? No, not at all. There is literally no one. I mean, this guy comes out and talks about the manner of the defeat after every time we get smashed by all these teams, and he doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't shy away from it. He shows where we are lacking. He talks about what we did bad and what we could have done. And I what mean, he I, does bad as well. Yeah, he, he calls out his own, own things as well. Exactly. And I can't imagine Harry Maguire coming out and talking about, oh, people should go back to their dressing rooms, look themselves in the mirror, and then I wonder how they sleep and all. I, I can't imagine him saying about that. So, because, yeah, because he can't, he doesn't get the club. So, yeah, McTominay does the, get the club because he's been there for a long time. He knows the tradition. He knows the ethics and values. He's been handpicked by Alex Ferguson, so he he can't be faulty when he's captain. So I, I think one of those ones we'll talk about, and again, this is my new agenda. I'm going forward with McTominay should be our new captain. Now, I know a lot of that is sort of tongue-in-cheek, but then also do look at the facts, and I can make a very strong case for it. So one of the other reasons I would sort of go down that line of thinking is we talked about when Wayne Rooney was given the captaincy. Did that take away from his game? We talked about Bruno Fernandes. Is that, would it take away from his game or would it add to his game? We're not quite sure. I think Scott McTominay would rise to it. And again, ability is ability. We can have an opinion on what his passing range likes or what his first touch, etc. But ultimately, I think he's someone who would take the responsibility on and he would he would respect the role. I don't think Harry Maguire has completely respected the role, in my opinion. And I think it's something that he would sort of take on that responsibility and he would grow as a player. Because he is, look, he's not, he's not getting on in age. In my opinion, he's still a young footballer. Like he, he will improve under Eric Ten Hag. Now, if Eric Ten Hag gets his way and brings in three or four new midfielders, that might limit Scott McTominay's game time. One of the strong cases I made a few years, I thought Ander Herrera should have been our captain. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I was thinking, well, if we go and buy a proper midfielder, Ander Herrera might be on the bench. Then what, do you, do you have your captain on the bench? That, that's maybe my thinking, which will take it away from Scott McTominay. But, but I think he's someone where he would rise to the occasion and he would adapt his game to say, okay, hang on, I'm the captain now. I can't be making any mistakes. I won't have to do my job. Um, perfectly where other players might sort of cave under that pressure or might try and do too much. I don't see Scott McTominay with an armband thinking, okay, I've got to get the ball. I've got to give a 10 out of 10 performance. I think he would rise and say, okay, no, I just need to do my job. Because if, if you ask Roy Keane, if we had Roy Keane on this podcast and you asked who should be the next Man United captain going through that dressing room, he'd besides Ronaldo, who he'd obviously say, I think his answer, and this is not to say it is the answer, but I think Roy Keane's answer probably would be McTominay and who, who's better opinion to sort of value over potentially our greatest ever captain. Yeah, that's that's hundred percent. Completely agree with you uh, on Scott being the next captain. Uh, because uh, yeah, even if Ten Hag brings his own players, I don't think he'll be giving those guys a, ca- a run for captaincy right away. And Ronaldo, even though if he's going to be still part of the club, I think he will more likely play uh, a secondary role in starting all those games. Um, probably like the way Giggsy uh, did in the last few seasons. So. Yeah, Scott for captain, for sure. We should get a flag done. Yeah, well, I do have Scott McTominay flag here. Borche here saying McTominay won't play, which is a huge sort of what's holding me back. I can understand not giving it to him because if we do go and do the right thing and go and buy a couple of really good midfielders, as much as I love Scott McTominay, his game time will be limited. And then do you have your captain who's sort of in and out of the bench? So it's not an ideal situation. This whole argument we're having, Vin, and me be backing McTominay for this sort of captaincy, I understand it's not ideal. It's not a good situation we're in that I'm having to go down that lane. But in regards, I do look around the dressing room and it's a, he's a clear candidate for me. Yeah. 
yeah that's that's true and 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 about uh he might not get eric uh, he might not get game time under eric ten hag it's all hypothetical what if eric ten hag looks at the squad right now and says like okay i need to pick my strengths i need to see who plays really well and out of the playing 11 if we look at the consistent performances for this season or at least for the last two seasons two midfielders come into the question fred and mctominay i mean we literally missed this partnership especially over the last few games and of course they were not the world class partnership we have uh, but they get the job done and yeah it's just sadly everything as i said is falling against us so things are not working uh, Emad here, um, Scott McTominay's father-in-law. Um, Scott McTominay all day, every day, and I'm framing the best of you as we speak. Um, yeah, obviously, Emad and I are very big fans of Scott McTominay. But here, Borche is one. I hear this a lot, and look, it's not something that I agree or disagree with, but I hear this a lot with Scott McTominay. He's not even good enough to be a United player. I understand that opinion. I, I just don't agree. I think he's been, in terms of the situation we find ourselves in now, every squad, every great Manchester United squad, has had players like Scott McTominay and we've lauded that Scott McTominay type player. They've gone on to become legends, whether that be a, a Phil Neville, a John O'Shea, a Nicky Butt, they've sort of had the highest respect. And it's unfortunate that Scott McTominay has come into the centre midfield at Manchester United in such a horrible position, in a horrible time of the club. And sort of we pin so much, not the hopes, but so much sort of anger and frustration towards the issues and he's front and centre and saying, hang on, I'm not the issue. I've just been put in here. I'm trying my best sort of thing. So it's one of those ones where I've seen him be the best player on the pitch against Barcelona. But like he has to have something about him. Lionel Messi was on the pitch that day as well. I've seen him have a good game against Mbappe and Neymar. Now, he needs to do this far more consistently to um, go on and have a great Manchester United career. But there is something there. And when you do see the likes of Jose Mourinho sticking with him, Solskjaer sticking with him, Ralph Rangnick, who you thought when McTominay came in or when Rangnick came in, you thought, oh, is he going to suit a Rangnick-style system? He's been first name on the team sheet under that manager. I think Eric Ten Hag, he won't get all the signings in the front door straight away. So I think um, McTominay will be a key player under Ten Hag just for the sheer fact what, what he has done with Ralph Rangnick as well. He's coachable. He'll listen. He'll work. He shows respect. And I think Ten Hag will take a liking to him. Now, that might change when um, he gets his way in the transfer market and Scott McTominay will have to sort of improve his game to stay at that level. But um, for me, he is a Manchester United player. Yeah, absolutely. Look at the attitude of the player. He was injured, uh, zero training sessions, still made it to the bench of Liverpool uh, because we were short of midfielders. Paul Pogba, did you see that tweet? That, and I don't want to bring it because he's obviously leaving the club. Did you see that tweet or Instagram post? I thought, and th th I like Paul Pogba. I find it hard to criticise him, but the nerve of him to put that, and obviously he's not running his Instagram or Twitter account, it's his agent or whoever's put this tweet out, but along the lines of saying, oh, I'm gutted to be missing the next couple of games. I'll work hard to get back for the end of the season. Um, come on, United, and sink the nerve of him to put that out. I thought there was no need for it. Just stay quiet. Absolutely. Uh, done literally nothing on the pitch. And, of course, off the pitch, done literally nothing. Just wanted to be in the limelight. I think he's still playing it hard to get a contract done. Probably he's not getting much contract offers to what he has been already offered by United. But I'd really love for him to not play for United ever again. Oh, so. well, look, Ralph Rangnick has been very honest since he's come in. And if we're to take Ralph Rangnick for his word, Pogba's not renewing the contract. He'll leave in a few weeks' time. So, unfortunately or fortunately, depends what side of the fence you do sit on. Um, the last image we'll, we'll have of Paul Pogba is limping off against um, Liverpool at Anfield after that. Maybe it's symbolic in terms of that is the change. Um, 
Pogba came in, it didn't quite work. He was going to sort of maybe solve all our problems or take us back to the glory days. It didn't work. Um, we are now got to move on. But is there anything else you want to sort of touch on before we start to wrap up? Uh, nothing really, to be honest. We got our next game against Chelsea. Uh, it's going to be yes. a, it's going to be at home. So hopefully uh, the support is unwavering and we might... Well, there'll be another protest. Well, likely be another protest. And it's one where you hope that, look, me and Larry were not critical of the last protest, but a bit sort of... Okay, you walk to the ground, like, and we're fully supportive and 100% nothing but respect for everyone involved and hope even more people jump on. But in regards to getting a message across, I saw Oldham today, they were on the pitch. Hmm. They, they come across the pitch with a big banner saying, get out of our club to our owners. Now, I'm not endorsing our fans to go on the pitch and stop the game, but sometimes if we want, do want change, um, they are the drastic actions. I don't think walking to a game in a big group calling um, with a flare or something, I don't think the Glazers are going to be notified about that. I think... For a protest to work, you do need something drastic, like against Liverpool just after the Super League announcement where we got the match postponed. Now, I do want to see the match go ahead, unfortunately, because I do want this season to end. But um, the protests just need to ramp up. They need to, I think, just a continuation. It can't be one or two. When we sign um, Frankie de Jong or whoever next season and Ten Hag gets announced, the protests need to happen the next next day. We can't do what we did last year where we signed Sancho, Varane and Ronaldo and we all go quiet. The message need, does need to stay consistent. But... Um, that is available. We'll be having plenty of those during the off-season because off-season's not far around, uh, to, just around the corner. Yeah. So um, just one or two more here. Where is Larry hiding tonight after Bruno Fernandes' performance? He's hiding, isn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure where Larry is. Hopefully he is back for the Chelsea preview. I'm sure he will. Um, after the Chelsea review, after our loss against Chelsea, he might not be back. The time will, I might not even be back. I don't think I can discuss another loss. But uh, Raphael here saying, yeah, I saw the Oldham protest. I keep my eye on Salford because the class of 92. Yeah, not a fair play to the Oldham fans. Obviously, they're in a very different situation. They can get on the pitch and, and make their voices heard, Old Trafford. It's a little bit harder to do so. But look, fingers crossed, um, change. It's not around the corner. Definitely not around the corner. But hopefully, we've got it in sight. But um, Vin, pleasure as always, especially last night, not even today. But obviously, met up at the pub last night for... It was a cracking atmosphere besides the result and the, everything, football aside. It was great to meet, meet up with everyone. And it's good to even a few guys off the, sort of in the live chat um, who I sort of met before came up to us and introduced themselves, which was great. Um, really nice to sort of put some faces to some names. And um, hopefully, I don't think there's any more good kickoff times for us in Sydney for the rest of the season. But we do have the Melbourne trip to look forward oh, yeah. to. And um, that's that's my main goal now. Well, that, that is what I'm buzzing for. Forget the Chelsea game, forget top four, forget whatever, forget Ten Hag, the sign-ins. After sort of experiencing last, not experiencing last night, but another taste of sort of watching the match with everyone last night at the pub, having a week of that down in Melbourne, um, that's my new goal for Manchester United. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Completely looking forward to the July tour. It's going to be interesting with a lot of new faces. And of course, we'll get to meet uh, more of our viewers. So, yeah, just end the season already. It does feel like what we've we got four games left, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think Liverpool plays tonight, Merseyside Derby. So, look, unfortunately, Everton got their win out of the way against us, but I think maybe they can make it two and maybe even a draw, take a draw because um, Manchester City, thank God they won last night. I know that sounds bad that we're hoping Manchester City win, but that's a situation we are in. So, um, hopefully, everyone did enjoy that. Um, a little bit of therapy. Um, over the weekend and we'll be back during the week obviously I'm sure there'll be another dressing room leak in the next couple of hours so hopefully Larry's back with me to discuss that tomorrow if not I'm sure the Chelsea preview will be right around the corner so make sure you are subscribed as said thank you for all the congratulations for us 
reaching 900 subscribers. Hopefully, maybe maybe the goal of the podcast in regards to forget United, maybe we can reach a thousand by the end of the season. That would be um, yeah, that'd be great. I never thought we were in a position to reach a thousand subscribers, but here we are. Who knows what can happen? But make sure you do leave a like on the video on the way out before you head off. And um, until then, pleasure, Vin. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good night. Right, cheers, guys. Everyone have a good one. Cheers.